Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is the man who would never, and I mean never, turn down an invitation from Donald Duck, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I am full of Christmas cheer, Andy. Um, I was visited. I was visited by three spirits uh, in the night, and I'm, I've changed. I'm a changed man. I love everything. God bless us, everyone. Well, Christmas is the reason for living, right? We have Especially a if guest you're Jewish. star. That's right. We have a guest star. We do have a guest star. Our guest star is Kiki Petrosino, the author of White Blood, a lyric of Virginia, and three other poetry books, all from Sarah Bend. She holds graduate degrees from the University of Chicago and the University of Iowa's Writers Workshop. Her memoir, Bright, is forthcoming from Sarah Bend in 2022. She directs the creative writing program at the University of Virginia, where she is a professor of poetry. Petrosino is the recipient of a Pushcart Prize, a fellowship in creative writing from the National Endowment for the Arts, the UNT Rilke Prize, and most recently, the Spalding Prize, among other honors. Kiki, we're so glad to have you. Yay! Thank you all so much. I'm so happy to be here to talk about one of my favorite stories of all time. In fact, Thank you. In fact, one of the things you might not know, Andy, is that I think Kiki and I, our friendship is built in part around conversations about A Christmas Carol, which wow. is, in my opinion, one of the best works of literature ever. It's so perfect as a short story. It does everything it needs to do. It's definitely my favorite Dickens. Well, and it's definitely what a great way to what a great way to start a friendship, right? The DNA of our friendship is heavily entwined with Mickey's A Christmas Carol and, you know, and with Charles Dickens. Um, so I'm just really honored to be here to talk with all of you. Yes. Oh, and, awesome. And we won't talk Thank about you. how it was almost torn apart by Moby Dick. So we're all good. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's a different podcast episode. Yes, 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 totally. <laughs> Maybe a different podcast series. For sure. Yeah. Once Upon a Dickens, Once Upon a Melville, we'll, we'll work it. <laughs> <laughs> well, some key facts to set the stage. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol is based on A Christmas Carol, which was published in 1843, 177 years ago, if my math's right. Uh, 78 years ago. I don't know. Is my math wrong? It it doesn't matter. It's impressive either way. It holds up so well. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great story. Um, So it's 1983. And the last time Mickey Mouse had been seen in a theatrical cartoon was 1953 in the short called The Simple Things. Now, it's that was the 126th short in the Mickey Mouse theatrical cartoon series released by RKO Radio Pictures. So 30 years have passed, and Mickey is finally back where I think he has always belonged, which is the silver screen. Nine years prior to the release of Mickey's Christmas Carol, Disneyland Records launched a seasonal audio musical called An Adaptation of Dickens' Christmas Carol. So on this long-playing record, Ebenezer Scrooge, played by Scrooge McDuck, narrates the story and it's very clear that the script of mickey's christmas carol is a condensed version of this project so in many cases the film script is lifted directly from the audio show you know script page casting is all the same except in the record version the ghost of christmas past is is merlin from the sword and stone and the ghost of christmas yet to come is the witch from Snow White who just cackles. That's fantastic. I Andy, it is this fantastic. I have no idea it, of. It is scary as anything and it's wonderful. And um it's actually if you check uh, mousevinyl.com, you can and I, we don't we get nothing from them, but mousevinyl.com has that there and you can listen to it. It's pretty great. Uh, the director of Mickey's Christmas Carol is Bernie Mattinson and he also co-wrote this featurette. Mattinson's first job at Disney was as a traffic runner on the studio lot where he started right out of high school in 1953. He joined director Wolfgang Reitherman as an assistant. It was kind of a, his assistant was gone. And so they said, oh, Bernie can work for you for three weeks. And so Bernie plugged in there at uh, Disney Animation and he never left. So his first Disney project was in 1955 for Lady and the Tramp as what's called an in-betweener or an animator who draws filler pictures in between frames. 
And Mr. Mattinson has worked with the Disney Company for a record 68 years, serving as a story artist on nearly every Disney movie you've ever seen and directing projects like Mickey's Christmas Carol and The Great Mouse Detective. He pitched a feature-length movie about Mickey Mouse, and allegedly it was in development in 2011. I think we'd all love to see it. I know I would. Uh, And also, Mickey's Christmas Carol was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Subject of 1983. Wow. That's fantastic. So uh, we're going to start, as we always do, you know, particularly appropriate to begin to begin Mickey's Christmas Carol with the Passover prayer of Manish Tana, <laughs> where I ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And look, we're looking at a Christmas Carol, and obviously stuff is going to happen this night. And the movie begins where the story begins, which is uh, Scrooge coming into work uh, and meeting up with Bob Cratchit. But I want to take a little different tact on A Christmas Carol for, for this, or our, the Manish Tana for A Christmas Carol. Because I've been thinking, and I'm wondering if you guys have thoughts about this. Why is this the Christmas where, where Scrooge is going to be haunted by spirits? Scrooge has been a monster for... M- uh, Many, many years now. He's been miserly for some time. He's been greedy for some time. Bob has been working for him for some time. There have been other Christmases that he has not gone to. We we see that his nephew is going to come in again and again, has come in before and intends to come in again. Why is this the Christmas where Scrooge is going to be haunted? Uh, either of you have thoughts on that? I've got a couple of theories, but I'm not quite sure. Well, Larry, I think that the question of why this night is different from all other previous nights also ties into the inciting incident, you know, which is part of the story structure of this tale. In my opinion, the the beginning, right, the reason why this story is taking place, the actual moment of beginning is always arguable because this is a story that is about a moral crisis. Yes. One can say, I think one could argue that what incites the story to begin actually happens before we even glimpse Scrooge, you know, and it actually is the death of Marley and the business partner, the, the, the friend, the associate, um, the person in the world to whom Scrooge is the closest. And even in the Dickens book, I believe that the first page actually begins with the statement about Marley being dead. Marley was dead to begin with. Opening line of A Christmas Carol. Yep. Right? So there's something about um, that moral crisis that has been ongoing, like a slow motion train wreck or or something like that. Um, And we're being invited into a moment that is closest to the moment of greatest dramatic tension. So one could say that this story actually begins seven years before you even open the book mm-hmm. when Marley actually dies. And there's something that's been brewing inside Scrooge about his relationship to Marley and about the way that he and Marley interacted in the world morally, you know? Uh, so it's the seven year anniversary. And for whatever reason, that crisis has come to a head. I like that. Right. And multiple, yeah, Andy. And multiple times, multiple times, you know, Scrooge that night, Demi- demonstrates he does not understand the spirit of Christmas at all. He turns down a poor dog, asking him for a penny. He chastises Bob for wanting to use a piece of coal. He turns down his nephew's Christmas invitation. He turns down the people who are coming to ask for money. And he even says, he even says kind of as a side wink to the audience, hi, didn't even bury him properly, right? Yes. Um, I buried I buried him at sea. To um, save money. He gave me, to right. save money, right? And kept, and uh, probably kept the funeral funds for himself, right? So I think he's he's as bad as he can get. And I think that kind of lends to to what Kiki's saying. It, it doesn't it's been brewing for some time, but he's he's as awful and rotten as he could ever possibly be. I'm I'm I I like that a lot because part of what that is is the reason Scrooge hasn't had this visitation before is there was never the right messenger to send him. And now there is Jacob Marley. And maybe if Scrooge had passed first, 
the relationship would have gone separately. But then if you say it's seven years, and I I promise listeners, we'll get to the Mickey Mouse of it all in just a moment. Um, (laughs) But if you say it's seven years, why this year and why not the previous year? Why is seven the number? So I'm going to throw out a different theory. This is Scrooge's last chance because he is about to become responsible for something. He's going to be he's about to be responsible for the death of Tiny Tim. He doesn't know it. He's not doing it deliberately. It's not even Mm. on his radar. But once he crosses the line where he's going to be responsible for the death of a child, there is no redemption for him. Right. Interesting. It's the last ditch effort. And I think those two things work really nicely here as a why this night? Why this Christmas? Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving us a little further along in terms of plot. uh, Man, you know, this is this is Dickens and it it most Dickens work is so long. He got paid by the word chapter upon chapter upon chapter. I never made it through the Pickwick papers. I never will. But <laughs> but this moves very, very quickly by the numbers. I can read a Christmas carol in an evening and find it delightful. Uh, so we start with the exposition. We meet Scrooge. We meet we meet Marley. We see a couple of people come to collect, a couple of solicitors come to collect for the poor. Uh, nephew Fred comes and invites Scrooge to dinner. All of this is exposition. We're setting up who Scrooge is, who he's been for a while, but but it isn't the inciting incident until we get to a specific point, the thing that's never happened before. Uh, either of you want to point it out? Marley's ghost. That's exactly right? yeah. it. Marley's ghost becomes yeah. the door knocker. There, there's nothing yeah. else. The haunting by Jacob Marley is the inciting incident that sets us off on an adventure. And and the plot just moves so smoothly. The rising action, we go have the ghost of Christmas past come. Scrooge goes back into his past, sees a couple of previous Christmases, one Christmas where he found love and another Christmas where he destroyed love. He has a second visitation from the ghost of Christmas present who shows him all of the various Christmases happening around around him. Where does this story, because this is a little tricky, where does this story reach its climax? Because normally in a movie or in a story, but usually in a movie particularly, I usually say it's the battle between good and evil. It's the thing we're here to see. Uh, where where the stakes are at their highest, where things could possibly go there, uh, go wrong, and the story could go horribly. What would either of you point to as the climax of the story where the stakes are at their highest? I think I think I would point to two moments. The first moment is the moment that my three and a half to four year old self believed was the climax when I first watched this. And that would be the moment when the ghost of Christmas future in the in the amazing performance of Pete. Yes. Uh you know, casts him into the grave and we see a flaming coffin, a flaming casket. Uh, And it certainly seems that that is the moment when Scrooge has the most demonstrative show of emotion and fear. However, in thinking back over what you said, Larry, and also thinking about, um, you know, my adult self and where I might use the tools of literary analysis to to figure this out, it must really be the moment when he realizes that Tiny Tim is is not long for this world. And when he asks the ghost of Christmas present, what, you know, what is it that's wrong with this child? And in the, in Mickey's A Christmas Carol, the, the ghost says much, you know? Yeah. Um, and gives him the prediction of if, if these things are not changed, then this child will not be here next Christmas. And I, I, I love that because that because those are stakes outside of Scrooge. And if you haven't signed on with Scrooge as a protagonist yet, and there are reasons why you might not. He's a rascal, although I love him. Uh, you, you That might be like, oh, this is about more than Scrooge. This is about Tiny Tim. I do think that the movie, though, is in is in league with your your younger self, uh, 
um, and feels that the climax is this confrontation between the ghost of Christmas future and Scrooge. Uh, and I'm not and I'm not 100% sure on that, though, because what's funny about it is if neither of those things that we've identified is the climax, then I don't know that there is one. I feel like it has to be that fight with Christmas future, because at that point, Scrooge is changed. And this is a movie that has a long falling action. Scrooge is going to go to visit. Bob. He's going to get it. You right. boy, what day is this? He's going to mend the fences with Fred. He's going to go visit the Bob Cratchit. He's playing a joke on Bob Cratchit. And maybe for Bob, he's like, uh oh, is this the moment where I'm going to get fired? But the audience is in on the joke. So we're right. not feeling the tension. We just like watching Mickey squirm. Uh, but but structurally, so so I would say the thing that's unique about this movie as a Disney movie is the climax comes early. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually, usually, I mean, Andy, how many times have we been like, there's a climax and then there's no falling action. The kids get to a spaceship and, and fly away. Credits, right, exactly. <laughs> like, what was that? What, why is there no, like, why didn't we resolve that? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, but the nice thing about this, as you mentioned, Larry, is that we do resolve all, all of the things that we hated about Scrooge from in the exposition, he really is a changed man. Yes. And so we get to see him change and not only change and repent, but also repair, right? He repairs the things that that he's done and, and really has a penance that he almost takes delight in. Yes, and, I think he does. You know, he and and then the of course the love of children at the end in that last shot where the the, you know, Bob Cratchit's children are just crawling in his lap. Crawling all over him. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty beautiful, really. And then it ends pretty abruptly at that point. It's like cut right. to closing credits like so soon after that. As, What's the, a, that. as the Dickens book kind of does. They just the Dickens book ends with, and from that day on, everyone said there was no one who kept Christmas as as much in their heart as Scrooge. Uh, and he brought joy to everyone for, for forevermore and what have you. And like, and then, although Dickens wrote that line better than I just mangled it, uh, at that at that point, we just know it's the equivalent of, and they lived happily ever after. Except that right. it's maybe not happily, it's joyfully. It's joyfully. Yeah. And you know, the question of the climax, I think, has to do with whether we believe that the moment of greatest tension has to do with Scrooge's relationship to others or with Scrooge's relationship to himself. Yes. Mm. I found myself, uh, you know, I found myself in this weird time slip watching this, watching this story for the millionth time in my life. Uh, the, the, because my 2021 self kept wanting to almost rewrite the script when the ghost of Christmas present appears and he has the huge banquet in front of him and, and Scrooge asks like, what is all this food? Like, what is this feast? You know? Uh, and the ghost says it is the food of human kindness, mm. which you have long denied your fellow man. My mm. 2021 self wanted to hear it is the food of human kindness that you have long denied yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And, for me, both readings are present, though I recognize that Dickens, and I think that the writers of this film were kind of closer to the idea that this has to do with Scrooge's relationship to other people and to and to his community. And I, I would probably lean towards the authorial intent being that it is about Tiny Tim. Yes. That that's mm -hmm. what gives us the crisis um that that Scrooge then has to like work through but there's also some like Scrooge via Scrooge internal work that has to happen too I, I think one of the key things about Scrooge uh and I'm not talking McDuck I'm talking about Ebenezer uh here that I've always felt is the thing about Scrooge is he has no idea how miserable he is he's right. not happy being this miser He's miserable. He's a hoarder. He's not doing it because he wants to spend the money. He doesn't have it. The money is the end in itself. And he has right. no thought, no concept of his fellow man because he's just completely lost sight of what life is about. And 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 this is not about like, well, let him be selfish. His selfishness 
is not only hurting other people, it's hurting himself and and it needs it, it can't be indulged. It simply can't. No, I, I like I have, that. I have a I I have a question. So um one of the things that when I was watching this I had a question. I even like brought it out in the outline a little bit, but I'm wondering how faithful you guys think a film has to be to the source material. It's something that people ask a lot. And I know we're talking a lot about Dickens and it seems like as we're talking about like what Dickens thought and, and what this, this script says, um, you know, in a Disney version of anything, there are certain liberties that are often taken to make it more uh, family friendly. Right. Um, And I mean, you could argue, well, is it really family friendly to throw Scrooge into a grave with red flames? Right. Um, but, but I don't know. Um, one might argue no, but so, but the, I, I'm just curious how faithful does a film have to be to the source material? What do you, what do you think to make it work? My answer is, and does the, and does this movie work? My answer is an answer that writers are going to hate. So I'm, I'm scared of this question a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, so my answer to this as someone who has adapted stuff and sometimes been faithful and sometimes not been faithful. At the end of the day, if you're making a movie, you need to be make a good movie. And if you are adapting, if you're adapting the book and the book doesn't translate into a good movie, it needs to change. Because you can't can't have a bad movie and say, hey, but at least it's exactly like the book. It doesn't matter. It's not a good movie. It has Mm. to be visually interesting. It has to hold people's attention. There have to be character arcs. And sometimes, especially with these classics, the things that we need in modern cinema aren't there. Now, that being said, I don't think you should change the source material for the sake of changing it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But I and I don't I don't think anybody needs to see me like like, hey, let me outdo Charles Dickens. That hack. What does he know about writing? (laughs) But we do need to we do need to make something that people want to see. And if if changing the story is going to make it something people want to watch, we got to do it. That's that's what we're called to do in this instance. I think the source material makes su- has such a clear story structure, is so compelling, and has such an articulate point of view that to change it is to ruin it. Mm. But I love this question, Andy, and this is a question, uh, and maybe we should do this movie in season three, because this is a question that I have about Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, 100%. Uh, yes. But in, in this instance, I think... I think you know, staying fa- some when I have issues and my 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 issues are quibbles, listener. I I really enjoy this. It's that I want a little more of the book stuff, like uh, mm-hmm. a little a little less, a little less. Um, but again, I'm not the target audience anymore. Right. When I was a kid, this was perfect and this was long enough. I don't know that I need a more mature Mickey's Christmas Carol. You mentioned length just now, like so. I know this this. Mickey's Christmas Carol is only 23 minutes. And I'm I mean, we're at the 23 so minute now mark this. now of this podcast, right? So you could have watched Mickey's Christmas Carol as, in the time that you've spent listening to us. I mean, as a kid, this, I mean, I should admit, like, real talk. Like, finding out that this was a 1983 production means that it was meant for specifically me. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to That's what I'm yeah, going to say. Yeah, me it too. It was specifically for my, like, age group, which was... Uh, toddlerhood like you know three and a half four or five years old um i was shocked that it was only 23 minutes because for me this was and is in some ways the definitive christmas carol this was the actual story and when i when i would hear references and allusions before i'd ever read the dickens i I definitely saw mickey mouse donald duck and all these other characters Mm -hmm. um kind of traversing this Dick- Dickensian landscape. I will, I think, disagree a little bit with Larry about um, the question about how closely this story needed to adhere to the book. If we think a little bit in detail about what was cut from this book in order to create the Disney, uh, you know, this sort of featurette, um, a lot of it is the monologues by the women characters in the original allegory. Mm. 
um, when Scrooge and Isabel have their final confrontation, it is driven by her. Yes. She breaks up with him and she mm-hmm. tells him, you're different from the man that I fell in love with. You only care about money and I just can't be around that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is that was such a pivotal moment that we're seeing in retrospect uh, when, as we're standing next to Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas past, you know? In the, in the ghost of Christmas present vignette, there are a couple scenes where I think it's Mrs. Cratchit. For sure, Minnie has no voice. One of the other people in Fred's household that are like, that are saying um, a lot of the criticism, the overt criticism of Scrooge's moral character come from the voice of the of the female characters. And in the Disney version, we we don't get any of that. Minnie Mouse does not say a single word right. in this entire film. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And and we're big yep. fans of Minnie. Uh, Huge. And She's a big fan of this podcast. Yes. So. For, yes. <laughs> um, but... But Daisy's got the biggest role and of of any woman in this in this movie, and she has two lines, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you there. The other thing, my favorite moment in the book, in a, well, not one of my favorite moments because I have so many favorite moments, but one of my favorite moments in the book is Fred Scrooge's speech about how important Christmas is to him when he stands mm-hmm. up to his uncle and says, "What you call humbug, I call life." I call living. Mm-hmm. I will embrace yep. it. That is that is that is the message right there. And we don't get that. I don't know that Donald has the chops to deliver that speech. So I get why no. it was cut. But at some point, we do need to talk about Donald. Donald speaking in the vernacular of Donaldness. We will get to it. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll it, get to it for sure. In fact, let's talk about cat. Well, let's talk about casting for a minute. Um, we, Larry, I know when in pre-production you said you wanted to say a word about casting, and I just I um, thought thought maybe you'd take that opportunity. <laughs> well, so what we have here is the Disney. You know, this movie is not canon in the sense that it is like a Christmas Carol. This movie has the feeling of the Disney characters of Toontown got together. They had a play. Somebody, maybe it was. Professor Ludwig von Drake is directing it and they auditioned for roles and they're doing a performance and and looking at because because we know Jiminy Cricket from other places. We know Willie the Giant from Mickey and the Beanstalk. Uh, And one of the things that I think about is when you're doing something like this, which is I'm taking Disney characters and I'm putting them into a Christmas carol. Have they used the right the right Disney characters to fully embody the the characters that we're seeing. And I think in some cases, clearly they did it perfectly. Um, I know this is called Mickey's Christmas Carol. I cannot imagine Mickey Mouse in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's a Bob Cratchit if ever there was a Bob Cratchit, right? But mm. but as we get through some of them, I and as we do our characters bits, I think there are some where I would be like, I think I want to see somebody else in this role. And maybe we can have a conversation about that as we go along. Yeah, well, let's jump right in. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge was played by Scrooge McDuck, right? I, what do we think about Ebenezer Scrooge? Well, well, first Perfect. of all, that's the role Scrooge McDuck was literally created to play. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm, not being, I'm not being metaphoric. He was created to play this role. He'd existed. Like his name is Scrooge McDuck. I, I mean, right. so he's perfect. Perfect casting. No arguments yeah. here. Right. Uh, he's rascally. He's missed. One of the things I, I look for in a Christmas Carol adaptation is does the character of Scrooge fight his transformation into a better person? Sometimes when you go to see a a play and someone's doing Scrooge, the ghost of Christmas past gets all the work done and Scrooge is like good to be a good person. Like he doesn't need any more visitations. It all got done with the first spirit and Christmas present and Christmas yet to come can have the night off. What I what I like about Scrooge McDuck is he is still fighting uh, his visit, his visitations a little bit. He doesn't want to go. Uh, with Willie the Giant, uh, he he tries to to like shrug off with the ghost of Christmas past said to him. 
he's he, he's a Scrooge who is resisting transformation, and that's fun to watch. It's fun to watch someone yeah. find their goodness despite themselves. He's also legitimately, like, not a little baby duck, you know? I mean, a lot of the other characters you can see are children. Yes. They're supposed to be childlike, youthful. I I don't know. There's a a kind of weird limbo that Disney uh, characters like Mickey Mouse have where they seem ageless, but they also seem to always preserve a childlike quality to them. And Scrooge is one who is, like, he's a curmudgeonly old uh, character and he's not trying to be uh, a little child pretending to be an adult he's actually inhabiting some sort of um crusty adult self you know i mean i right. really connected with what larry said about you know the the way that the casting was done here and in fact like watching this watching this this little story as an adult reminded me that I used to do this with my stuffed animals. Yeah. I would have all my stuffed animals and I would cast them in stories and plays and they would all act out these things. It would be these epic productions in my mind, starring my favorite stuffed animals, you know? I did that um, too. And that's that's oh, what's that, going same. on here. And that's what I love about it so very much. Yeah, I mean, Ebenezer Scrooge says, well, Scrooge McDuck says a couple of lines. He says, you know, you you work all your life to get money and people want you to give it away. Mm-hmm. And the fight that he has where he says, well, nobody's ever shown me any generosity. Clearly, we've seen Isabel show him generosity and we've seen Fezziwig show him yes. generosity, right? So he's still blind to what's happening. And he's blind to other generosity. I cannot tell you how much of a hero Fred Scrooge is who goes to see his uncle every year and invites him to Christmas every year and gets rejected every year. But still, the next year, goes to his lonely uncle and invites him to Christmas because it's the right thing to do. And he loves his Uncle Scrooge, despite the fact that Uncle Scrooge is, is not capable of showing love back. And do, do we want to jump to Fred and start talking about him? Because I think we've mentioned Donald Duck. Yeah, we can if jump we can back jump around. To Fred yeah. and, then, and then circle sure, back. Sure. I mean, Fred, he's really undeterred in his love for his uncle, right? I mean, and it's for me, it's a real shift. It was kind of a shift because Donald's always kind of a grouch. Yes. And so, <clears throat> so to see Donald get the Christmas spirit was kind of nice. Like he's, you know, he gets kicked out the front door and he comes back in and here's the wreath, right? You forgot this. Yeah. And in the book, that goes back to the fact that Fred is the son of Scrooge's sister, mm-hmm. beloved sister. Mm-hmm. And in the original story, we first encounter the young Scrooge um, as a, a lonely boy who's been left alone at a boarding school mm-hmm. situation over Christmas. And then his sister, Fan, comes in a carriage to take him back home for Christmas because she has convinced their father to allow him to come home. Yeah. And it is that sisterly love. Again, it's this allegory, a lot of the moral center of this allegory takes place originally in the voice and the embodiment of the women characters, you know? Um, You know, and so Fred is the... uh, inheritor of that vibe and that Mm. energy. And so some of what Scrooge is doing in avoiding um, Fred's invitations and in spending Christmas all alone is turning his back on that memory of his sister um, and willfully trying to forget, probably because it's too painful to remember. That being said, and I agree with all of that, that being said, and you know I'm a big Donald Duck fan. Everybody knows this about me. <laughs> I don't know that Donald Duck has the dramatic chops to fully <laughs> embody Fred Scrooge. What it's it's you don't give the you don't give him big dramatic speeches to give. He he's there because Donald Duck has star power. But mm-hmm. he's 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 not good in this, guys. Um, I, I don't I don't know if he wasn't working with a coach or if he just phoned in his performance. 
The hallmark signatures of a Donald Duck performance are you watch Donald get pushed till he gets too angry and then he explodes. I have no use for a patient Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. Here's a place where I would recast if I'm if I'm not considering celebrity. He's got he's a celebrity right. cast. I'm going to give this role to Louie Huey and Dewey instead. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He's also there. I mean, there is. There's some like, I mean, part of me thinks that he was cast because Scrooge McDuck is a duck and there needs to be another duck. Yes. But then this script, the casting opens the door to some pretty dark stuff in the world of birds. It does. I am <laughs> I not mean, happy seeing Donald Duck sitting next to a big turkey and going, yum, yum. <laughs> I mean, or the, uh, the idea of the plump goose filled with chestnuts. Right. And, and, and later... Yeah, later at Fezziwig's party, we see an actual goose. And one of my kids was like, oh, is that dinner? (laughs) 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 It was a little dark. Yeah, It was a little bit dark, yeah. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. All right, Mickey Mouse's Bob Cratchit. A masterful performance. I'm I'm all in. I'm all in. He's Mickey Mouse doesn't get enough screen time. When you see Mickey Mouse, you know you're looking, you're viewing the moral center, you know, mm-hmm. of the of of the piece of work. And certainly Bob Cratchit is, you know, and Tiny Tim are the moral center, the moral core of the whole story. So it totally makes sense for Mickey Mouse to play this character. Since yeah. the Mickey's Bo- pure in heart, right? He is. Since He's pure in heart. Since Steamboat Willie. Mickey has been taking abuse from other characters with gentle good humor and a smile on his face. He's perfect for this role. And he displays dramatic chops in this movie that I did not, range, if you will, I did not know he was capable of. In the alternate timeline, in the alternate future in which Tiny Tim passes and they go to visit his grave, Mickey has this acting moment that made me missed up which is they're at the grave. He's got the crutch. He waits for Minnie and the boys and the girl to leave. And then he cries. And it's not big sobs. It's just a little tear. But he was holding it together for the rest of his family. Minnie knows he needs this moment and she takes the kids away. And only then, when his tears can't hurt them, does he cry. And... If you had to, I I did not remember this moment going into this viewing, but I was like, that is some amazing character work. It's all being told visually, the 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 acting that's being that's given in his face and in his body language, the way he clutches that crutch, he's clutching arguably the thing that killed his son, right? Mm-hmm. The sickness, mm-hmm. but he's clutching it. But it was his son's sickness, and it's all he's got left. Uh. Bravo, bravo! I I I think he he did great work here. Yeah, I mean he's the best. Every single second of that is being observed by Scrooge. Yes, mm-hmm. the idea mm-hmm. that there is a caring and tender father in this story, you know, and when we go back to the the Dickens tale, that is missing from the real Scrooge's yes. life, and so he looks. And actually finds in Bob a model for that type of tender and emotional father. And the irony is he's been he's been, you know, harassing Bob and treating him badly and not letting him even ha- yep. burn coal to get warm. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that Bob's been the warmest. He is. He's been the warmest character all along. Right. Scrooge is 100 percent responsible for what is happening in that moment. But what's great about having Mickey in that moment is you know Mickey would never blame him. Scrooge no. knows he's responsible. But there's no... He there's- never criticizes him, Larry. He he has every right to, right? Yes. He says, I mean, he says Christmas is a time for giving, and he tries to gently kind of bring him along. They call uh, him but the- he never... He, he rejoices at the fact that, oh, that's you gave me the raise when I started doing your laundry. But he's not snarky about no. it. Grateful. He's he's grateful. Yeah. He sees it as a kindness that Scrooge will give mm-hmm. him a half day on Christmas at half pay. He refers to Scrooge as the founder of the feast. It doesn't allow Scrooge to be defensive. Like if 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 uh 
because Bob isn't not on, on the attack. Mickey no. doesn't attack. Ghost of Jacob Marley. Goofy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out to you guys. Okay. Goofy is not good in this role. <laughs> well, I think Goofy's goofiness makes the presence totally of a ghost. Scary. I love Goofy. Well, it makes the presence of a ghost less scary, right? He is For less children. scary. He, right. He, so if a, if a ghost just shows up in a kid's show, you know, and Scrooge is scared and he's the narrator and he's super scary, the kid might go, oh, my gosh. But if, the, if it's bumbly goofy, it's going to be less, less scary. Well, maybe. it's and it's certainly less scary. We do have a scary moment coming up. I do not believe for a second that goofy, goofy robbed the widow's and stole from the poor. I just, I, I have trouble. selling it though. I have be, trouble yeah. seeing that flashback of Goofy doing the things that Scrooge did. Um, he's he's just so gosh darn lovable. And, right. I, I mean, his name is Goofy. Uh, I if this movie had happened a few years later, I would probably have cast uh, Scrooge's rival Flintheart Glomgold. Ah, in this role. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I might, you know, looking at the movies that have come out, I was trying to think who would be good for this. Maybe, um, what's his name? Uh, Jay Worthington Foxfell. Honest John. Honest yeah, John Honest from John Pinocchio. Great. Yeah, yeah. Who is a swindler, might have been good in this mm-hmm. role and not particularly scary. I want to see someone who's a little more uh, sit- grumpy. Grumpy from, from yeah. uh, Snow White would be great in this role. Uh, yeah. and, and Grumpy's not scary. Uh, so. Yeah, so, no, he's goofy. He's, he's goofy a little in a, in a different way. I, right? I don't even really believe Goofy falling down the stairs was in the script of the, that they're doing in this play. I think it's just something that happened. Like in the world where we're watching the Christmas Carol play play out in front of us, I think Goofy just fell down the stairs during his dramatic <laughs> exit. Yahoo-wee! Uh, and, and they just went with it because, cause what are you going to do? That had to happen right. at some point with Goofy. All right. So the ghost of Christmas past is Jiminy Cricket. Uh, what do we think? I buy it. I buy it. Jim- I can buy it. Yeah. You didn't. I mean, again, this is probably the first time that I ever saw Jiminy Cricket in anything. Ah. And so for me, it's this foundational role that, of course, Jiminy Cricket is a conscience, you know, and it, there's probably, you know, probably, there's probably something mythological, too, about the cricket um, or the locust, the cricket, um, you know, somehow occupying a, a space of a being of prophesying or um, of knowing something um, that that uh, the human characters don't necessarily know. Um, the one thing though, that you sacrifice in selecting Jiminy Cricket, who I feel is, is definitely identified with male gender identity is that you, you miss the fact that in the book, the ghost of Christmas past is really neither male nor female, neither young nor old, and has qualities of all of, of, um, all of existence somehow within it. Interesting. Andy, I have an alternative casting choice for you in mind. If I yes. was doing this, if okay. I was casting this for you and I could make it happen, Mary Poppins. If I could add an Ooh, element she, of live She action, would be good. Yeah. Uh, I, that's just for you. That's just for you. Oh, I'm, yeah. not saying, I'm not saying Jimmy. <laughs> no, she would, be good. she would be good. I mean, originally, um, I, doing a little reading pre-production, like one of the characters they considered uh, for one of the ghosts, I don't know, I think it was Christmas past, but it might have been Christmas present, was the Blue the blue fairy ah interesting who i think yeah. would have been a great choice as well i mean yeah, even though yeah. it's like that because you could probably get that neither young nor old kind of vibe male female that would be a little tough but um but yeah I, but but jiminy's bossy and impatient and he's judgmental yes right? yes yes and and he and he puts scrooge in conflict yeah now i'm, I'm wondering right. about the other fairies the fairy godmother from cinderella meriwether possibly from sleeping yeah, beauty yeah a couple of options yeah. here but i'm fine with the role that jiminy does jimmy jiminy um jiminy's a pain in the butt uh let's yes. just let's just say it he's he's a little bit of a scold and these other ladies less so um yeah so so maybe maybe he's he's got the right stuff for this one Good deal. Well, the Ghost of Christmas Present is Willie the Giant from a movie we 
uh, looked at uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk, part of Fun and Fancy Free. All right. So, hot take. I know, <laughs> I know there are not a lot of parts written for giant actors. True. And that this non-traditional casting was bold. Mm. But Willie's... Do, does Willie have fans in this way that we need a giant here? I, I want to posit Baloo the Bear from the Jungle Book. Oh, 100%. 100%. My, but there are callbacks to Mickey and the Beanstalk with the lifting of the roofs, and he's still yes. bumbling and oafish. And exactly. I think if you've seen, uh, like, A Christmas Carol from, I think, the is it 1935, um, there is kind of a larger-than-life uh, character and maybe they're trying to match that. I mean, I, I kind of feel like some of these casting choices were trying to match previous productions. And so that may be why um, he's, he's, he is, he's bumbling and he's oafish, but he has a good heart, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, ex and that's kind of the deal with, with Marley as go goofy as Marley too. And that's an insertion that's being made on the part of the writers and, and whoever was in charge of the casting here. But it's like, you see a character who is on the surface um, silly and oafish, but then they have this wisdom to impart. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the beauty of Goofy. And it's also the beauty of Willie here. In the original story, the ghost of Christmas present um, comes across as this jocular entity. Yes. But then you realize that, that they're deadly serious, you know, mm -hmm. and they come to Scrooge at a, a turning point in their existence, because at the end of the year, they will, uh, transition um, from one year to the next, you know? So the, even the, the ghost of Christmas present um, is not like an eternal position, but rather something that that actually has a transition to it, you know? Right. Um, I I loved, I you know, I'm going to be the person on this podcast who's delighted by all the casting. Sure. Basically, <laughs> and thinks that, uh, <laughs> and agrees with everything. I would also point to the fact that ghosts, I mean, you could, you can play ghosts for a special kind of comedy and still have a lot of intensity come through. I'm thinking about the different ways that the ghost of Hamlet's father could mm -hmm. potentially be played. Yes. I mean, that ghost is, could come, come across as completely terrifying or as the saddest ghost with the most pathos that you can imagine. Mm. And the same the same capacity for range exists in the in the ghosts and in, in the ghosts uh, who visit Scrooge. Well, the ghost of Christmas yet to come is played by Pete in his um, most dramatic role and his most sinister role. I, I this is really? the one scene that makes me scared of Pete. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pete uh, comes onto the scene during the Alice comedies, right? In in the early 1920s. And like one of his first lines ever in, in Disney canon is he was born to cheat and lie, right? Mm -hmm. So he's exactly the guy you'd expect to take Scrooge to the afterlife. He's exactly the one. And it's like he is. He's frightening. And, um, and we don't see him. He's sort of we see the cigar. I mean, anybody that knows Disney knows, oh, that's Pete under there, sure. right? No, we see but, him. Uh, we see Pete. Yeah, we see him. At, at, he, but initially, we don't. He's yeah, pulled, initially, that's right. Yeah. yeah. He pulls it back. Why, it's your grave, Ebenezer, right? Mm -hmm. But he initially, he's cloaked. And so... I, I think if we were making this nowadays, Pete wouldn't get the part. I think probably um, Hades from Disney Hercules would probably get the part. But I think Pete is great in this. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think there's a real... There's a real sinister cast, and he when he looks at Scrooge, he's seeing all of mm. the darkness mm -hmm. there. You can just see it's in the eyes, like like there are no illusions about who Scrooge is as a person at this point and what it is that Scrooge needs to hear. Yeah, so I'm going to bring up Isabel um, because I think I I think her character and and Kiki mentioned it earlier, but I really think her character is underutilized. Yes. Yeah. Um. And it's weird. And again, another jarring choice because it's Daisy, who is Donald's. I mean, Donald yeah. is Daisy's boyfriend, right? And so now she gets Scrooge instead. This so isn't age appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? But it's not going to work out. And 
But but yeah, I mean, and this is the only time that Daisy appears in Disney canon without Donald. So again, it's a little jarring. But she has, she's loving and caring, but she has limits. And the fact that Scrooge, you know, she says, I've got this honeymoon cottage. I've always been, you know, I've had it for us for years now. And he's like, eh, whatever, I'm foreclosing on it. But but she's right. not allowed to be the strong female character that, that 19th century Dickens created. And I think that critique. Right. I think that critique holds. It doesn't end on her terms. She leaves. Mm-hmm. She leaves crying, fleeing from him, practically chased yeah. out by him. And as Kiki Point pointed out earlier in the original book, he's upset that she's gone, but doesn't have the emotional intelligence to realize it's not too late for him to make changes and get her back. She get, right, and she and and it just slips away. It's not. It doesn't break. The connection just died. Mm. Yeah, uh, he just let it go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really sad. For sure. But Scrooge does change and we're all the better for it. So in lieu of our typical pitch time, Larry, yes, we have uh, a segment I like to call Game Time with Larry. Oh, boy. <laughs> and boy, oh, boy, are we about to have fun today. We are going to have fun. I'm very excited for this. So Kiki. Andy, relax. This is just a game. The stakes are low. <laughs> They're low. Um, I'm going to start with there's there's uh, three multiple choice questions, and then there's a fourth question that we'll get to. These three multiple choice questions are one point apiece, but there's a chance to save it at the end. Um, and the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to give uh, Kiki first crack at the first question. We'll move through. I don't expect you to actually know the answers to all of these questions. It'll be just fun to see. So, Kiki, okay. this question goes to you, and then it'll go to Andy. So, Andy, pay attention. Which of the following direct-to-TV or direct-to-DVD Disney movies is actually another version of A Christmas Carol? Is it Beauty and the Beast, An Enchanted Christmas? Winnie the Pooh. Springtime with Rue, or Kim Possible, A Sitch in Time. Larry. <laughs> Larry, we like our guests. We want her to come back. That I just, I don't, I don't I want you to know have... anything about any of these movies. I just, all right. I feel like I can only go one way through the wardrobe, and there's no going back. I'm gonna choose. Uh, I'm gonna choose the Beauty and the Beast one. Okay, Andy. Same question. Do you need me to repeat? I'm. I'm. No, I'm gonna choose the Beauty and the Beast one too because I have never seen it, and I've seen the other two, and I don't really think they're okay. Uh, so yeah. I'm hearing from our judges in the booth. <laughs> neither of you gets a point for this. The correct oh, answer is. Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Rue. No. Wow. Surprisingly, (laughs) the main character of Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Rue is Rabbit. And it is about Rabbit's relationship with Easter. We go back in time to to learn what the Easter is. Okay. (laughs) By the way, way, Andy, that was a taste of podcasts yet to come. <laughs> all right. Oh boy. This question goes right, to question Andy two. first. Question two. All right. All right. All right. Which of the following Disney villains was visited by three Christmas spirits in a TV episode and redeemed? Was it A. Cruella Deville from 101 Dalmatians, Hades from Hercules the Animated and Series, or Captain Gantu? from Lilo and Stitch, the series. Oh, man. I didn't see the other... T- I didn't I, see that's the whole series. point of this. That's the whole point All right, of this. All right. Captain Gantu, final answer. Okay, Kiki, <laughs> same question. I'm going to go with Hades. Okay. N- the judges are saying neither of you get a point. <laughs> <laughs> the correct awesome. answer... The correct answer is a Chris a Cruella Deville in a hundred and one Dalmatian series. There is an ep from nineteen ninety seven has an episode called a Christmas Cruella, in which we learn the backstory of Cruella's long running hatred of dogs. Uh. And at the end, she learns to love the Dalmatians. She picks one up 
and the puppy pees on her. Merry Christmas. <laughs> that is a good, that is full of Christmas cheer. It is sure. full of Christmas cheer. Okay, yes. this one is a little more literary. Uh, Girl, Kiki, good. you get first. <laughs> this is a shoe in for Andy, but, okay. but uh, Kiki, you're going to get first crack at it. Okay. As you know from having read Dante's Inferno, the eighth circle of hell is designated for those who committed the sin of fraud. I'm sure you would agree with me that Jacob Marley, who in this version of A Christmas Carol robbed the widows and swindled the poor, most likely his destination is this eighth circle of hell for those who commit fraud. Which Winnie the Pooh character will one day meet him there? Is it A, Rabbit, B, Gopher, C, Owl? What an intense question. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, friend. Not meant I wish to be you easy. See me right now. I long time viewer. What? What's your answer? Rabbit, rabbit, gopher, or owl. One of those three will will one day be consigned to the eighth circle of hell, designated for frauds. I'm gonna put rabbit. Okay. On. Yeah. Uh, Andy. I'm going to have to go with Owl. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Because Owl, because of Larry's assertion that Owl basically uh, gets people to uh, build a house for him uh, by acting like he's... Owl is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) He is the worst. So, Andy, you're on the board with one point. Oh, that's great. Kiki, you have a chance to catch up. Both of you have a chance oh. to catch up because this last final Jeopardy, category, right? <laughs> this final question, the category here is our friendship. Aww. I have had a lengthy conversation with each of you about how A Christmas Carol was probably the original blueprint for a specific Pixar movie. Prove you value my friendship by remembering which movie <laughs> this is. There are no multiple choice options. You must do this from memory. And this question, <laughs> this question is worth 50 points, making all the other questions completely irrelevant. What is oh. this Pixar movie? Oh, man. I know we've had this conversation. We have had this conversation. I've had it with you and I've had it with Kiki <laughs> separately. I think that I might know, but I don't know do you, oh, for sure. Okay. I think that this is a Toy Story movie. Okay. Andy? And I'm going through Let me which think. People, which Toy Story is it? You know? Mm. Mm. That's my issue. And I don't know how far I can go I, down. Yeah, because I don't remember. I remember not agreeing with you. This, <laughs> this is high stakes now. This is now high stakes, not because of the points, because because this is supposed to demonstrate how much you listen to me. Yeah. I want to say I want to say Toy Story 2. OK, you're saying Toy Story 2. Kiki, do you also? I am saying Toy Story 2. I think that that's it, too. The I correct answer is soul. <laughs> Soul. Oh my god. Oh, that's right. That's right. Go go. You're right. Go, yes, this was a lengthy. That's right. This was a lengthy that's conversation. Right. In fact, Andy, this conversation led to the creation of the podcast. This podcast. I am a terrible right, human I being. I feel less bad now, Andy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Arguably, well, I mean, change change the course right. of our lives. Of our lives, right? All right. So I the mean, judges I, are saying. I think I can. I just say this. I'll, I'll, I will say this publicly. Like. I think that this that Soul is a movie that I probably wanted to forget. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm hearing from the judges though. Uh, the judges they've they've tabulated the score and somehow you both won. Oh, right. it was a tie. It was a tie. I I'm not oh. quite sure how they measured that. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> Well, thank you, Larry. And Kiki, thank Larry. you for being a part of this crazy uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol a podcast. We really appreciate it here at Once Upon a Disney. Thanks for coming by and sharing your expertise. And I really got a lot of it. Will you come back sometime? 
I would love to. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Hey, Larry, what are we doing next week? Okay, next week we are doing Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. (laughs) Have you seen Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier? I have not. Oh, but I'm well, gonna. That, I'm scared. I I have a lot to I have a lot to say about it. So if you hey friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And of course, you can always check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. You can tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner Six, or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. <laughs> <laughs>